when you grow up with interdependent values in an independent society, it creates this friction within yourself. And I also think it creates resentment for others who are not necessarily going through that same thing. Hello, and welcome to the Raised by Immigrants podcast. I'm your host, Kavi Sebastian, and together we'll create a space where we can bond over the experience of being children of immigrants. We'll talk about everything from relationships and family to mental health and careers, all from the lens of being in between one culture and another. Hello, and welcome to Raised by Immigrants. I am so grateful for the amount of support we've gotten just from episode one. We actually hit close to 100 unique listeners just within days of launching right away. Um, Might seem like a small number to some, but I am truly, truly grateful and honored that so many of you sent positive feedback and reviews and your thoughts. I've had so many amazing conversations with so many of you, whether you are an immigrant raising children here, you're raised by immigrants yourself. There are so many people who are just craving to be heard, and I'm hopeful that this will remain a community for us to share those thoughts and have those conversations. So I'm, I'm so, so excited about kind of that initial reaction, and I hope you'll continue to tune in and share your thoughts with me throughout continuing episodes. So today, I wanted to lighten things up a little. Last time, we talked about facing your fear of imperfection. We talked about this pressure to succeed for immigrant children and kind of acknowledging the sacrifices our parents made. But today, I wanted to lighten things up and talk about the art of being alone. I also like to call this how to date yourself. In fact, I think it's a radical act of self-love to really learn how to be by yourself and love your own company, especially in a society where a lot of us feel like the minority, despite, you know, how many of us there are. It's really easy to feel isolated or like your thoughts, your feelings, even the way you look is just not in alignment with everyone else. And I think sometimes having that awareness that you're different from people around you can cause this sort of confusion. Um, And we've talked about this a little before, that like third identity we forge for ourselves, being in between one culture and another. But I think when you're trying to pursue, whether that's success or beauty or just some version of what joy looks like to you in your own life, I think it's easy to get lost when the majority doesn't look or think like you. And being able to be comfortable with just sitting in silence with your own thoughts gives you a chance to tune in to your inner self, your intuition, your instincts, and really come to understand who you are and what you value and how they're influenced by external factors, whether it's being raised by immigrants, coming from a different country, being plopped into a society where you're considered a minority. All of these things have an impact. And sitting down understanding how that noise impacts you, I think is really powerful. And just to make my point, I want to share a quote with you. This is from Black author Audre Lorde in her 1988 essay collection called Burst of Light. And she says, 
Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. And I think this quote is really important because it speaks to this idea that you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't create change or make the impact you want to have if you're not taking care of yourself. You can't make your friends and family feel loved if you're not loving yourself. As cliche as that sounds. And I think it's especially powerful for us as children of immigrants, especially as Black, Indigenous, and people of color, as well as the men out there, to have permission to sit down with yourself and truly take care of yourself, whatever that means for you. And I think that is the key, right? Because taking care of ourselves is not necessarily something we're used to. It's hardly encouraged in many of our cultures, right? It's something that's seen as what our friends and family should be doing for us. We're constantly taking care of others. So if you're the children of immigrants, it usually looks like that burden that we talked about to take care of our parents, to make them proud. And we often deplete ourselves in that mission. For immigrant parents, a lot of the time there is this mindset that, you know, our friends and our family should be taking care of us. Um, And that we don't need to take a break because there's always people to take care of. And if it gets too much, then our friends and our family will stop us. And it really turns into this snowball of constantly moving, constantly hustling, and this self-sacrificing mindset. It's, I think, very common in immigrant cultures as well as in families that have immigrated from another culture because a lot of that is a sacrifice to create something better for their children and it almost continues this generational cycle of sacrificing yourself, your own happiness, your own wants and needs so that you can give more to other people. And while it's noble, I think there comes a time where you have to learn where to draw boundaries. And I know many children of immigrants can relate with me on this. I have always had a hard time understanding what boundaries I need to draw with people in my life, whether that's personal, professional, romantic, familial, platonic, you name it. I, it's, I find that myself and many other children of immigrants have a hard time defining boundaries and relationships. And it's because as immigrant families, we almost do not have boundaries. And as much of a critique as that is, it does make sense, right? If you sit down and think about it, you can understand why that is. A lot of the countries our parents are coming from are interdependent societies, And we are socialized in the same way. So we are more likely to be conscious of others and their relationships to us, as well as how we're positioned in society. So an example is, if if you're South Asian, you've probably heard the phrase in Hindi, um, where people say, like, log kya kahenge, or what will people say? And as South Asians, it is very, very ingrained in our culture to be aware of our reputation and of what other people say and think about us. And that phrase is meant to make you stop and think not just about your own reputation, 
but about your family's reputation and how others may perceive them, your own, your family, based on your actions. So to give you an example of what this looks like, um, I am the oldest daughter in my family. I'm also one of the oldest in our extended family. And when I was applying to colleges back in 2016, I felt this enormous pressure to get into an Ivy League or a really reputable college, and more specifically, what others deemed as a reputable college, right? And anybody who has gone through this college process or is a junior senior themselves knows that this is such a daunting process to begin with, but it's also such a transitory phase of our lives, and it's not to be taken lightly. And so when we're going through that process with so many pressures, we're also thinking about what do we want this next phase of our life to look like. And for most people, it's the first time that they're sitting down and thinking about that. It's the first time they're really dialing into the values of their independent life, right? So to put it back into context, if you're being raised by immigrants through this interdependent society and mindset, now you're going through this stage of life where it is potentially time for you to go off by yourself. You know, whether you go to college out of state or far away from home, even if you stay close to home, it's, it's really the first time you're sitting down and thinking about what you want out of life. And at the end of the day, there is only ever one person that is always going to be with you, and it's yourself. And so I think it's really important to realize that during this college experience, that we are, we are only now learning how to sit with ourselves and to ask ourselves these questions about our values and our goals and what we want this next phase to look like. And so all of that is to say that I, at the time of you know, going through the college experience and process, there were certain schools I really wanted to go to. I had my interests, I had my own goals, and other people had goals for me. And I remember this intense pressure to apply to certain schools that I didn't even want to get into. And that was really hard to deal with, especially during that time with all of those emotions happening at once. It was a lot for me, and it was a lot to handle, and it was also very lonely. Because despite the fact that I was going through it with my peers... It felt as though I had to figure everything out by myself, and it didn't help that I was the oldest daughter of immigrants, right? The first kid always has to be this guinea pig, where you're figuring it out by yourself and you have very little support to lean on. Because I noticed at the time, especially, that a lot of my white friends had people to lean on. Their families knew exactly how the college process went, because they went through it here, whereas my own parents and my other family support systems didn't necessarily know it as intimately. And on top of that, there's this pressure to not just get into where you want to go and find the place that actually fits with you, because that itself is a difficult process, but to also find a place that your parents can be proud of. And that is a really hard thing to ask an 18-year-old to figure out. It is very complex and so multi-layered, especially for children of immigrants. 
In fact, when I found out that I got into the school that I did, I was actually devastated to to end up having to choose to go there because it was my best option and it was a really esteemed state school, but I just had higher hopes for myself and more specifically, I felt like maybe I was letting my parents down through that. But I do not regret where I went to college. I know I was meant to be there. I loved my time in college. I often reminisce with my friends and say, if only we could relive it and know just how good it was going to be to us, we totally would. So that entire experience gave me this mantra and life lesson that I now live by, which is that everything happens for a reason. Now, To go back to really the point of this story, the stress that was associated with the college process was made twice as bad for me and for other children of immigrants because of this idea of what will people say. And I found that for a lot of my white friends or American-born friends, they really didn't think twice about what other people would think or feel. The only time it comes into play is if they get in somewhere really good and then it's like an ego boost of what other people will say. But for a lot of immigrant children, it's the opposite. It's just constantly on our minds and we're reminded of it at home as well as just within our internal thought processes because that's how we've been raised. And it was something that existed between the lines, right? But it was still there. I don't think my parents ever sat me down and said, we're going to be disappointed in you if you don't get into XYZ college. They never did that. But I was still raised with this idea, maybe through osmosis. Again, it wasn't explicitly said to anyone ever. But there's always that pressure of what are other people saying? What are they thinking? How, you know, don't forget people are watching you. And especially being one of the oldest, I was always reminded that I was a role model to children. And it wasn't something that I ever deterred from. I love that idea of, you know, being a role model for people to be able to learn from my mistakes as well as my successes. But At the time, I was trying to figure out what the next phase of my life should be, and that pressure was not exactly helpful. It gives off this idea that what others think about us matter as much, if not more than, what you actually want. And again, that's not my parents' fault, that's not anybody's fault, it's just the nature of our culture and our society. And it's something we have to consciously and actively unlearn as children of immigrants. And I think for, you know, immigrant parents who are listening, it is something to help your children through, especially that college process. There's always an added layer for us to go through that I think is really important to acknowledge. Now, I talked about a lot of these immigrant cultures having interdependent cultures, but I also want to talk about how In contrast, independent cultures are way more focused on that individual and on influencing others, right? So in Western countries, especially in the U.S., people are considered to be self-sufficient at the age of 18. And there's often this every man for himself mindset. You'll see it in school. You'll see it at the office. And it is sort of this game of you know, get ahead any way you can. It's not as much about how can you help everybody thrive together the way it is in interdependent societies. So 
as an example, I had this white girl on my floor freshman year of college. She had some very, very loose South American background, like less than 25% or something. And she applied to all of her colleges by checking off the Latino box when the forums asked about race. And say what you will about that part, but because she had checked off that box and got in, she started receiving emails from the school about resources for immigrant students who were Latin. And so she would start to complain to me and my friend group about how she was getting so many emails and that they were annoying. And we asked her, you know, if if you don't feel connected to your culture in that way and these cultural emails are not important to you, why did you check off that box? What made you do that? And she, very proudly, might I add, said that checking off the box was a sure way in to the school for her. She knew that she could use her privilege and toggle her identification with her background in a way that worked for her to almost hack the system. Keep in mind, my friend group at the time was pretty much all children of immigrants. We were all really aware of how our race played into the college application process. And we were really baffled when she told us this. Because for us, it meant that she was taking away resources and opportunities from someone and potentially from an impact from somebody's family for the, for the better. She was essentially stealing those away through her privilege because she wanted a sure way in to this university. Now, of course, not everybody will view it that way, but I think the weight of that story is really heightened from our interdependent perspective. Being the children of immigrants, we see that us getting into college, whether you're the oldest kid or not, being the children of immigrants, going to college in the U.S. or, you know, in whatever country, it is pushing us and our families forward in a much more serious way than it was for this person who checked off a box to her advantage. So that is all ultimately to say that when you grow up with interdependent values in an independent society, it creates this friction within yourself. And I also think it creates resentment for others who are not necessarily going through that same thing. And as I said before, this is where it is easy to get lost and, and lose a sense of yourself and your own values because you're battling two very different cultural systems, right? There's the immigrant culture that you've been raised in that is very deeply ingrained into the way you're socialized, into the things that you care about, into what you envision and define as success. But then you also have this culture and society that you're living in that is externally defining success and sort of creating a path or a picture for you. And because you're in between the two and you're at odds with them a lot of the times, it is up to you to take the time and sit down with yourself and, and carve out what your values are so you can make sense of all that noise. Because that friction between those two values and those two kind of societal and cultural systems can really lead to a lot of harmful habits. Things like negative self-talk, connecting your worth with your productivity, a lack of confidence. All these things are a result of not really understanding where you fall in between those two things. 
And what's worse is when you're raised in an interdependent culture, like a lot of Asian, South Asian, and African cultures, there is a really bad habit of devaluing time alone and the idea of taking care of yourself, right? We assume that others can and should do that for us because that is just simply the basis of the culture and of the society. In a lot of cases, it's seen as ungrateful to ask for what you need, even though you've already been given, quote unquote, everything you need. It's seen as lazy to take breaks For instance, people who take gap years or quit their jobs for a year to go travel the world. It's seen as unmotivated or unfocused, right? To step away from your career, from your job, and like explore the world and learn more about ourselves. Those things are just not encouraged in our cultures. And I think that conflict, that almost crisis of identity and of what comes next is where the art of being alone really comes in. Mindfully and intentionally spending time with yourself, with your own thoughts, is something you have to practice, right? It's not the same as being an introvert or wanting time for yourself. It is truly being intentional in those moments. And It's why I like to call it dating yourself, because when you treat yourself the way that you might treat a romantic partner and you treasure that time alone, you can really heal those hurtful ways of thinking, those kind of generational cycles that we want to break, and it becomes sort of a homecoming, right? You can return to your true self, you can really understand who you are, and all of that makes it so much easier to live a beautiful, fulfilling life by understanding where you fall between the two cultures that you have grown up with and to also navigate it in your own way and with your own definitions and not by what anybody else says. My own journey with kind of solo dating or, you know, the art of loneliness really took a new level after I graduated college, so quite recently. Before that, I was always an introvert. I've always loved spending time by myself, just journaling and reading and all of these kind of solo activities. But in college, it was the first time that I was really constantly surrounded by people. And it wasn't just any people. These were truly like my favorite people in the world. And I'm still friends with them to this day. But in college, my closest friends were like less than a 10 minute walk away. I could so easily grab food with them. We would make last minute plans all the time. And I think I started to forget how to enjoy my own company, especially in college when you're first getting in there. I remember as a freshman, I was terrified to be seen at the dining hall by myself. The first like two weeks of college, I would fully skip meals because I didn't want to eat alone. And so I really forgot what the value of solitude was and and the value of even my own time. So then on top of that, I graduated straight into a pandemic and admittedly had one of my first big heartbreaks ever. And all of that led me to suddenly have a lot of time alone and come to the realization that I wasn't seeing my time by myself as important. I saw it as something that I needed to run away from. It was at this time that I was really just reevaluating my life and 
again, it was another transitory phase for me. I was graduating from college, got a new job, and entering this new phase of life. And it was time for me to look at my values, at my future goals. And that required me to change the way I felt about time alone. And so for me, this is when I took on this idea of dating myself. If you want to call it, again, the art of being alone, call it what you will. But the concept is the same, right? Dating yourself allows you to give yourself everything you want from a relationship, whether you're in one or not. I think that's really important, right? You need to treat and value yourself and your time the same way that you would want others to treat and value you. Because if you are not able to do that, first of all, you can't hold that standard when you're in a relationship. And second of all, I think it's the best step to learning when and where you need to draw your own boundaries, right? You need to know what to say yes to, what to say no to, how much of a certain person that you're able to handle. All of these things comes from valuing yourself and your time. And I think whether you're in a relationship, whether you're young, whether you're old, whatever the case is, I think it's really important to have fun time alone. So I could give you a million and three solo date ideas, but I'm going to share some of my favorites with you just so you get an idea of really what I'm talking about with joy in being alone. One of my favorite ways and honestly one of the most fun ways once you get over the initial fear is a solo dinner date. I think this is such a classic. Dinner dates are always so fun, especially if you are a foodie and you love exploring new foods or drinks. There are just endless options because you can always find a nice restaurant or even like a fast casual place where you feel comfortable kind of going out by yourself. And I also think this is an approachable solo date idea because there are so many types of places that you can find. So you could go to a Chipotle by yourself if going to a restaurant really scares you, but I do encourage you to do the thing that scares you eventually. Work up to it. So what I like to do is I like to hit up either one spot that's my favorite in town or try somewhere new. Usually I go with my favorite because it's tried and true. And I always end up sitting at the bar because you can have super fun conversations with the bartenders or other guests. And you'll find that you are a lot more open to connection when you put yourself out there. Even if you're a little nervous, even if it's terrifying for you, I promise once you get in there and do it, it's a lot of fun. So usually when I go on a dinner date by myself, I bring a journal or a book. It's really helpful in case you start to feel awkward or if you just want something to do while you're there. And I like to ask myself questions that I might ask if I were on an, a date with another person, right? I'll deep dive into things that I really love, things like my goals and my dreams for the future. But it also doesn't have to be that deep. You can have a fun conversation with the bartender or the person next to you, or you can challenge yourself just to give someone a compliment that day. I think it's really about getting out of your comfort zone and seeing what you are capable of when you're by yourself. Another thing I really love to do is a museum date. I've always loved going to museums. I think they're such a fascinating way to learn about the world, but I also think it's an especially interesting way to connect to yourself. I think art is so profound in that way that you can 
create your own meaning in things, whether they're there or not. And I think those meanings tend to teach us more about ourselves than anything else. I find that some of my most peaceful days alone are days like that, because you can really never feel alone when you're surrounded by art or by things that you're passionate about. Um, my other huge, huge thing that I would recommend everybody do at least once in their life is travel alone. I think it is one of the best ways to practice self-love and sort of become your own soulmate in a way. But I also think it is one of the most powerful ways to gain confidence. My first big solo trip was in 2021. I went to Santorini, Greece by myself for my 23rd birthday. And I remember when I was landing, I actually teared up because I got so emotional and so sad that I was alone. I was like, I'm in this amazing place and I don't have anyone to share it with. But as soon as I got to my hotel room, I just felt this amazing sense of accomplishment that I, first of all, that I made it here in general, but also that I followed through with this solo trip. So then by the time I was like having dinner, I was just whining and dining on a black sand beach in one of the most beautiful places in the world, known for their sunsets. And it was all on my own time. Nobody was dragging me anywhere. If I wanted to sleep in the whole day, I could have. If I didn't want to do any sightseeing, I could have, right? It was all on my schedule and it was all based on what I wanted to do. So not only did I make this journey safely, but I was able to make my own itinerary. I planned everything by myself. I saw exactly what I wanted to see. And I was just able to take in this new country, this new place, at my own pace. I even met some other solo travelers on that trip. They had been traveling by themselves, you know, for years. So this was my first trip, and for a lot of them, it was their, like, 15th trip. <laughs> they, were, they were the type to, like, backpack by themselves or just do this type of thing often. And they reminded me that being alone is very different from being lonely. And so that is where that kind of art of being alone comes in, is you can do things by yourself and not feel lonely. You can enjoy the presence of your own company. That trip ended up being one of the best gifts I could give myself. I truly consider it pivotal in my life. It kickstarted me in, into the passion for traveling, and I 100% fell in love with myself on that trip. And not in like the cliche, eat, love, pray way, like, or in the obnoxiously self-obsessed way, but in the way where you are just proud to be who you are in like a truly emotional way that you know nobody can shake your confidence because you were able to tr spend time in another state, in another country, just simply traveling and enjoying a new place completely by yourself. It really teaches you a lot about yourself. And I think whether you are 19 or 91, I think you should be able to at least once in your life say that you've had the privilege of traveling by yourself. It is a beautiful way to see the world. Now, just because you do those things doesn't mean they're going to be easy, doesn't mean they're going to be comfortable. You know, practicing this art of, of being alone, it, it takes practice and it takes thoughtfulness on your part. So I want to share some tips with you that personally helped 
um, to kind of spend more time by yourself without feeling lonely. My biggest tip is to learn your love languages and reward yourself in those ways. So for instance, one of my biggest love languages and my top love language for both friendships and romantic relationships is quality time. Even when I'm out with my family, we have this rule where we'll stack our phones at the end of the table so we don't use them while we're spending time together, right? It is such a bummer to be out at a nice restaurant where everybody's like looking cute, you got good food going, and everyone's on their phone, right? Like that's just such a vibe killer in my opinion. So when I'm on a solo date, I like to honor that same rule. I keep my phone away, I put it on do not disturb, and I spend time, intentional time, by myself. So whatever your dating do's or don'ts are, whatever your love language is, reward yourself in that way and, and honor that for yourself when you're on a solo date. The other thing that is really important when you are practicing self-love through this idea of, you know, being alone is to do the thing that you're a little afraid of. Because I promise you, I understand how intimidating it could be to walk up to a hostess and say party of one or table for one. It can feel embarrassing. It can feel cringy the first time you do it, but I promise it is worth it every single time. Something I like to do is just remind myself of why I'm doing it. So for me, sometimes that's just like talking myself into it in my car or I'll read previous journal entries where I'm having a good time on a dinner date and I know that in the end, an evening to myself where I'm spending intentional time by myself is going to be worth it, not just in the immediate future, but also in the long-term future because I'll know myself so much better. I'll know what standards to hold myself to if I'm inviting new people to enter my life. I will know what my values are, what my goals are, because I'm constantly reminding myself of them, but I'm also carving out time to show myself that I'm important. Remember that all of these ideas and tips can make dating yourself fun, and they can be aesthetic and, and glamorous in a sense, but self-love and self-care and spending time by yourself is not always just sunshine and rainbows, right? In any relationship, you have to put in hard work and you have to go through battles and you have to have conflict and dating yourself is going to be the same. That might mean that you have to really take a look at some of your triggers and understand traumas that you have. It might mean accepting that you have flaws and trying to understand where you can do better. It might mean righting wrongs or forgiving yourself for past mistakes. And it could even mean getting a therapist and truly doing hard work if you can't do it yourself. Being the children of immigrants, there is a lot of place for us to benefit from these practices, whether you do them by yourself or with a professional. But I think overall, it is so powerful to get in tune with yourself and understand exactly who you are and what you value. And while this concept of self-love and self-dating is positioned as something that you might consider super feminine, I do encourage everyone to put these practices into their life and to really incorporate this practice of being alone because it will allow you to feel grounded in yourself and it'll also allow you to be really confident with who you are 
and a confident person is a lot less easy to exclude. So just remember that the next time you have a night alone to yourself. Maybe instead of doing chores, you can dress up, look really nice, and take yourself out on a little date. So we talked about how self-love can be difficult for children of immigrants because of the dual cultures we're raised in. We also talked about how powerful it is to love yourself, to date yourself, to take time to create memories and sort of this identity capital for yourself. And in doing all of these things, you're really breaking cycles, you're healing traumas. Whether you're the children of immigrants or you are immigrant parents raising children, it is really building a beautiful path for yourself by understanding who you are and and spending that time with yourself. Thank you so much for tuning in to Raised by Immigrants. Let me know what resonated with you today by tagging me on social or sending me a DM. You can find me on Instagram at Raised by Immigrants Podcast, or you can leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. I read and respond to all your reviews and mentions, so I can't wait to hear from you. See you next time.